0: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Redeemed Through His Blood. In this podcast, we discuss hope, healing, and redemption through the atonement of Jesus Christ. My name's Scott Durfee. I want to introduce my partner in this project, our teacher, David Durfee. Say hi, Dave. Thank you, Scott. So good to be here this morning. Gang, we've got a great podcast in store, I think, today. A real treat. I'll get to that in just a minute. Before we do, I just want to thank everybody for your emails. We've received a lot of great questions and some experiences. Wow, we've received a couple of wonderful experiences that have been shared with us, experiences of hope, experiences of crying out, experiences of... Uh, tying into the power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through his atonement in ways that have made monumental changes and even some small, important changes in life. So we're grateful for those. Uh, We'd encourage you to continue sending us your emails. Uh, We appreciate them very much. We appreciate your suggestions. We appreciate your questions. We try to weave them into the conversation. And again, we will probably be taking some individual podcasts to deal with some of those questions at a future date. But in the meantime, if we could just ask you to keep sending those to us, we appreciate it. You can send those to he us at gmail.com. He redeems us at gmail.com. So we appreciate that. Uh, very much. Uh, we've had some great conversations, Dave, over the last uh, several weeks about repentance, what it's not, what it is. We talked a little bit about confession. Confession. We're going to continue in that vein on uh, what repentance is in upcoming podcasts as well. But today we're going to take just a little um, diversion from that vein in its entirety uh, we definitely, these things that we're going to be doing today, fall in that vein, and in fact, uh, personify the things that we're going to be talking about in a great way. Uh, I want to introduce uh, somebody who's super important to me. Uh, she's very important to David as well, but um, um, I'm going to get emotional, so I'm going to have to not look at you, <laughs> Deb. <laughs> um, I want to introduce uh, our guest today, somebody who's extremely important to me. Uh, Dave's learned to love this person over the years as well as uh, she's become a member, actually, of our family. Uh, My wife, Deborah Durfee, uh, she'll be with us today. Wonderful story. Say hi, Deb.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: (laughs) It's so good to have (laughs) you here. So Deb and I, I'll just uh, do a quick little introduction about Deb, kind of give a little background on her, and then we'll get right into some questions and uh, let Deb talk about her story and the importance of it and how it relates to being redeemed through the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in all ways. So Deb and I actually met in 1998 um, in Lehigh, Utah, and we were both, she was a leader in and kind of helped and was super instrumental in helping develop and bring about the addiction Addiction recovery program from the church here in Utah County. And I was attending a little bit later for reasons that uh, are obvious to those who have been listening for a while. For those who aren't, I'm a recovering alcoholic with 23 years and 11 months and two weeks of sobriety. You're I'm going to have to have a party next month. Yeah, I mean, October 26th, that's 24 right. 24 years. 24 years. But Deb and I met just prior to, well, just after, two months after my getting sober, roughly, and uh, a few years later, we ended up married. Deb and I have had an opportunity to share both of our stories in sacrament meetings and firesides, countless firesides, and um, fifth Sundays and young women's camps, young men's camps, helaman's camps, and those kinds of things. And it's been a wonderful experience for both of us as we've uh, kind of hand-in-hand walked the journey of uh, the atonement of Jesus Christ in our own lives separately and together as we've worked hard to uh, do a little Brady Bunch thing. We have seven kids between us. Uh, We love them all. We don't differentiate in who's who's or any of those things. They're all our children. And we now have 12 grandchildren. Uh, We love them, I think, just as much as we love our kids, and maybe some days even a little bit more. (laughs) So... uh, one other thing, you know, this the story that I think Deb's going to be sharing, at least parts of it uh, today, is a story that she has personally shared in high schools and junior highs and uh, recovery centers, especially those uh, specifically for women, um, all over the state of Utah and for over 20 years now, and in fact, well over 20 years now. And this, this story that uh, we're going to be talking about, especially as it relates to how it ties into the redemption, uh, being redeemed through his blood, uh, the blood, of course, of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, his power through the atonement. Uh, as those things, uh, as, as we talk about those things today, I think that uh, there's going to be great relevance in all of our lives, but uh, maybe even greater relevance in some of the lives of those that uh, may be finding it difficult to find hope who could be in similar situations. So... Let's uh, just start off, Deb. Um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, uh, a little bit about, uh, maybe kind of lead us into where we where you want to go with what we talk about here, and, and we'll just go from there.
1: So I feel like because of the decades I've lived, I have a lot of stories. So when um, you invited me to come and share my story, I was reflecting on which story I was actually going to share. But I... Feel like after listening to the last few podcasts, this um, particular story, um, which was a huge part of my life, in making me who I am and and forming me the way that it was just part of my journey of of how I learned more about me and more about the atonement of Jesus Christ.
2: And something Deb that can. Bless the lives of so many others. I'm sure you're thinking about that. Yeah, too.
1: I always tell people I'm a good example of what not to be. <laughs> so, um,
2: or how to become.
1: <laughs> there you go. There's hope. What you shouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, as I was reflecting on, on what story I would share, I thought about one of the first um, really big impactful experiences that happened in my life when I was between my junior and senior year in high school. And I was dating a boy, and they didn't have the For the Strength of Youth pamphlet back in the olden days. Um, And we just got like pretty vague rules, like don't lay down with a guy, don't stay out past midnight. And so to try to stay on the covenant path and to stay virtuous and to be worthy, those were the vague rules that... uh, I heard. I'm sure there probably were many others that were getting more expl- <laughs> more explanation than I was, but those are the ones that I basically remember. And so when I was in the dating world, and I was you know, trying to be an obedient youth, and um, I had an experience where I had stayed out past midnight watching a movie with a group of people, and I did the unthinkable? Laid down on the floor and watched a movie.
2: So you broke two rules.
1: I broke both rules all in the same night. Wow! <laughs> Stayed out past midnight and <laughs> and uh, laid down and watched a movie with with a guy. L- long story short, I, I found myself being violated, um, and it wasn't that night. It was the you know the very next day during broad daylight. I was I was um, raped and it was very traumatic to me. It was scary. I was horrified. I was devastated. I fought with every strength in my body to stop what was going on, and was not successful. And I felt completely broken, and so devastated. When I left, I I went, I was returning a video. If you guys remember back in the day, a blockbuster when you're returning videos, and I remember going home. My my bedroom was in the basement, and I wanted to curl up in a ball, and l- literally just go to sleep and not wake up. I was so broken, and so devastated for what had happened to me. But I felt like I had deserved that because I had broke those two rules that I was always told not to break. I was out past midnight, and I laid down with a guy I didn't. And so that now I understood why you don't do those things.
2: So feeling more than a victim, you felt that you had brought it on yourself.
1: Oh, absolutely. And that you
2: deserved it.
1: I did. I did. I broke those rules. And so I felt like I deserved that. Well I, I knew better than than that because I had been told that over and over and over. And I broke those two rules that were always told to me.
0: Can I ask a question real quick? Yeah. Um, And and I don't want you to lose your train of thought on what you were going to say, but can you kind of give us an overview of what your relationship with Heavenly Father and Jesus was like at that point?
1: (laughs) So I was raised just like Nephi with goodly parents, and we went to church every week. And I, I loved primary. I loved all of the you know weekly church activities we participated we had family night every monday night we had family prayer every morning i mean i was i was raised in a very strong great home however i did have my own interpretation of what god was jesus was his helper in my in my young mind he was there to help heavenly father And because I have such an amazing father, it was easy for me to know that there was a loving Heavenly Father. But I also knew that um, I could disappoint him if I made the wrong choices. And I I really honestly remember thinking that Heavenly Father's up there watching all the good and the bad. And I remember when I was eight, uh, when I got baptized, thinking all of those black marks that Heavenly Father had made on his tablet of Deb... Are now being washed in the waters of baptism <laughs> they're all all those black marks are going to go away, and I remember thinking, I can't the eraser yeah it was the eraser <laughs> and I remember thinking, I can't do anything wrong ever again don't don't even think about saying a bad word, thinking a bad thought, doing a bad deed, whatever I just I just remember my slate is clean and and of course i I knew shortly after I turned eight and in to eight years and one day (laughs) after being baptized that there were some black marks already going up there. Mm. Um, And I I just felt a little scared and intimidated by the God as I understood him as kind of like the cop. And I remember even sometimes being outside in the summer rain (laughs) with the lightning and stuff, and I'm like, ooh, he's probably a little bit mad at somebody right now because I can hear some (laughs) (laughs) lightning. thunder. But in that innocent brain that's what was reality to me. I just thought. And then I remember also I was raised with six brothers and I remember them saying, you know, when it rains that means God's crying because he's, you know, and I'm like, "Oh, maybe he's crying cuz he's upset with all the black marks they have." I mean, it's funny what we kind of tell ourselves and what interpretation we take as what means what. How what a- do you
0: how do you think that uh, that view that you had of Heavenly Father at that point, how do you think that affected your reaction to all of these things that had just happened to you?
1: Oh, I knew he was so mad at me. I knew he was absolutely disappointed. I knew that I had broke every rule that I had ever been told, and I I just knew he was in pure, utter disappointment with right.
2: me. So what I hear you describing, Deb, is you say, the commandments were clearly taught in your home. yes but it wasn't so much it was a gospel of commandments, do's and don'ts and not so much a gospel of relationships. It sounds like really maybe as a teenager you didn't even know what the atonement of Jesus Christ really was about, what redemption was, what salvation was. How can we draw closer them, what's their character, attributes, and perfections, which is the requirements to really exercise faith in him. Th- those things were kind of missing in your gospel youth upbringing.
1: Absolutely. Everything was was black and white. It was all about the do's and the don'ts. And I it wasn't because it probably wasn't taught but I sure didn't hear it or feel it yeah um, whether it was me not listening, whether it was just the misunderstanding and I was telling my own story in my own head of what this all looked like and the things that were spoken to me and taught to me um, I drew pictures myself and and understood it the best way I knew how far as understanding God and his Son Jesus Christ, and and really I did not i I can tell you right now in the stage of my life, I truly did not understand the atonement of Jesus Christ. I had no clue Christ there's no way i I understood that at that time
2: yeah, okay, so you're you're raped. How old were you?
1: It was the summer I turned seventeen.
2: being in a family that who emphasized keeping the commandments how did that how did that go?
1: Oh, I, I was not going to tell anyone. I could not tell a single solitary soul. I had brought this onto myself because of choices I had made. And so there was, it was something that no one was going to know, even though deep down inside it ate at me. And I had this secret that was just utterly painful. And I, I kept telling myself over and over, you're ruined, you're damaged, you're you're not virtuous anymore you're not clean you're not pure you're not worthy um, so all of these stories and then as I would go to church and and go into the young women you know organization and hear you know what we need to do to stay virtuous and clean and and I just knew all is lost I really knew all was lost there was no hope for me because it was it was already broken
2: how long after you were? Re- did the did the your pregnancy was that the result
1: so um i it's interesting that you asked that because that's when i I couldn't resolve it within my own head within my own heart I couldn't resolve it and so you know of course I would get on my knees and say, you know, heavenly father, this is really uncomfortable for me and I don't like it. Can you please remove it? And of course it didn't, because I didn't really understand exactly how to resolve it. And so I think within, oh, I would say within a few months, I kind of threw my hands in the air and gave up in the fact that um, I had a friend that introduced me to alcohol And when I realized that alcohol made me feel different and I didn't feel guilt and shame and I didn't feel that story of not good enough, um, that helped numb out that story I was telling myself and also the pain that went with that guilt and shame that was so alive in me. And so then when I started drinking, then I'm, you know, reconnecting and and having getting sexually active with the same guy, and stayed. I mean, it it kind of spiraled down um, until then. I fi- then I find myself pregnant. So it wasn't a one time mm-hmm. thing. It was a choice. After that, it was a choice of mm-hmm. yeah. I, I I like this. I'm gonna go do it this way.
2: And you had at that point not talked to anybody about. Oh, this, Oh no, so never really. no. You're hiding all of that, the drinking and everything, yeah. and your parents, and yeah, you hadn't talked to the bishop or. Oh
1: no, nope, I didn't talk to anybody about it. Okay. The only one that knew was my friend, and and at the time my boyfriend. Okay. So I'm.
0: So what? So what? So what happened after that? Uh, you you uh, say you got pregnant. When, once that happened. I mean, what was the next thing that happened after that?
1: Ugh. I I just remember I had to go over to the hospital <laughs> to get a blood test. I don't remember if they even had home tests that at that time, but I just remember going over to the hospital and getting a blood test, and then I had to get on my landline and call after four o'clock to find out the results. And I remember when I called the hospital and the the nurse or whatever on the other end said results are positive, like in such a happy way, and I like in pure devastation, hung up that phone and almost went back in the fetal position. And I remember calling my friend and I'm, I said, I have no idea what to do. Um, I, I just got a positive test on, on my pregnancy and I, I got to tell my mom, I got to tell my dad, this is something you don't hide. This is something that you can't keep a secret. Mm-hmm. Now it's now it's gonna be exposed, and so I took some time and and told my mom and dad I need to talk to them. I Sat them both down and told them. And I remember my dad saying, "You know what? There's a reason. We'll get through this." And I remember, you know, just feeling okay. I know I devastated them. I know they were just like jaw dropped and like, what are we going to do? I remember the visualization. I remember feeling like I was in a deep pit that with no ladder. I just remember thinking, how am I ever going to get out of this? How am I ever going to find peace in my life ever again? How am I going to find like any kind of joy or happiness? This is utter devastation and despair. And I remember l- looking at my mom thinking, I just want your joy. I just want to feel your joy and happiness again. And if I could just get out of this hole. But I, I remember feeling absolute hopeless and helpless and broken with, with no tools to mm-hmm. get out of this, this hole.
2: Damaged
0: goods.
1: D- oh, so damaged. So damaged goods.
0: Was there a, any part of a repentance process that began to be in place at this point for you? I mean, did you talk to your priesthood leaders? Did you So, what, what? of
1: course, I know that I know, you know, you go talk to the bishop when, when these kinds of things happen and at this time I'm a senior in high school and i'm attending seminary i'm in my fourth year of seminary i was probably serving in the laurel presidency at the time i'm very active in church still and
2: your dad had been a bishop
1: yeah when i was younger he was he, like maybe 8 or something but now i'm i'm 17 of course i make an appointment with the bishop and at that point in my life and i i'm learning this as i'm older now listening to the to what repentance is and what repentance isn't. Well, uh,
0: as, as a matter of fact, Deb, uh, uh, you and I teach that Repentance and Forgiveness uh, Institute class at BYU for BYU and UVU students, and uh, you're very impactful there. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a different and perspective today. Right, yeah.
1: right. And I had read The Miracle of Forgiveness, and and now reading The Divine Gift of Forgiveness has definitely... By Elder Anderson. yes has definitely changed my interpretation and understanding more fully thank goodness yeah. and more holy.
0: So you went to the bishop.
1: So I made an appointment going to the bishop and I I basically say so I've been involved in some things that I'm not really happy about and I'm pregnant. And at this time I'm sh- I I can clearly tell you my bishop was absolute shocked because his the look on his face, and then he dropped his head into his both of his hands and just kept shaking his head no, and just in absolute, utter, like, oh, my gosh. And he just kept saying, oh, Deb, oh oh, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. And he kept shaking his head no. And I just sat there watching him with, like, eyes of, like, Oh, can I just run out of this room right now? Can I just like exit? Like, because I don't want to be here and watch this. Because I already feel like that. I already felt like he was feeling. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to put my head in my hands and shake my head. And no, I can't believe this either. I don't, it's not the ideal. This was not my goal. And so, long story short, I left. And I remember my parents asking me, So, how did it go with the bishop? Now, let me back up for just a second because I think it's important to know at that time in my life, I really, it was really driven into me or taught to me that the bishop is the mouthpiece for the savior. This is like you're going to confess um, and you're going to go tell a priesthood authority what you have done. And so, as I am telling him, I'm thinking okay this is how the savior feels about me this is how he he's he's disgusted he is devastated he is like shocked mm. he just cannot believe that I have I have got myself in this situation and so then again the story enhances and then I believe that this is exactly how the savior feels about me and and where we're going mm. but, you know it's like Yep, I've disappointed him. Yep, I am ruined. Yep, I made that really big bad choice, and here I am. And so anyway, when I get home and I'm my mom and dad are both, how did it go to the bishop? And I said, Honestly, I feel worse. I don't feel forgiven because that was my checklist. I was if I went in there and I told him I was supposed to feel better. That was that was the rule of the repentance process in my little brain. <laughs> and so understanding that. You know, when I went in and, and confessed to him and I came home feeling worse, I was like, okay, that was a big fat fail. That did not work. You know, as everything unfolds, er, you know, it's like, okay, now we, we're going to go find a support group. And at that time, um, LDS Social Services had a support group for single girls, women that were pregnant out of wedlock, and they would have a counseling group and they would go at four o'clock on Tuesdays or something. And we would all sit around at a table and talk about what we were going to do. Um, some, And some of these girls were further along. Some of these girls had already had babies. Some of them placed them for adoption. Some of them kept them. They, they just basically shared their story of this is why I chose this. This is why I chose that. And as an observer and as a terrified little girl um, in this situation, I got to see um things that were happening in their lives. So um and how they handled the a similar situation. So I started going to that support group. Um I did graduate from high school, five months pregnant. It was a big fat secret secret. And I just wore big hoodies. Nobody knew. I didn't say anything to anybody. There were speculations, of course. Rumors get out. I grew up in a really small town. And when I graduated from high school, I immediately moved up and to West Jordan um, with my brother and sister-in-law. They graciously opened a room to me and, and welcomed me.
2: You did that on your own, or were you encouraged to do that? Um, I
1: was encouraged to, yeah get out of town until I decided what I was going to do with this pregnancy. So somewhat,
2: did you feel sh- not only devastated and full of shame, but you felt shunned?
1: Uh, for sure. Uh, yeah, I I just had to, you know, get out of the small town because we didn't want to ruin reputations and ruin, you know, what was supposed to look, what it was supposed to look like. So you I'm, were sent away. Uh, yeah, okay. I... I I did get a job up in Salt Lake. Um, I did. I I do need to back up a little bit because after I had talked to the bishop, within a week or two, I was at church and and I still attended church. I didn't stop going to church. He called me in his office, and he very humbly said, "Deb, I owe you an apology. I just want you to know how sorry I am for the way I handled that situation." And I I want you to know that I'm I'm human, and I make mistakes, and that was a really big mistake, and I hope you can forgive me. Mm -hmm. That was a tender, tender, Mm
0: -hmm. pivotal
1: time in my life to be able to feel his sincere repentance and sorrow for the way that he handled that situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Long story short, he, you know, as I was working through that, they, I was able to graduate four years of seminary. I wore a maternity dress that didn't look very maternity looking, (laughs) Mm. but was able to graduate four years of seminary and then graduate from high school. And then I moved up to to Salt Lake. The bishop up there and the whole ward was great. I'm 17 years old and, and now it's quite obvious that I'm pregnant and they gave me a calling and I was so excited to have a calling. And they asked me to be the Ward Chorister.
2: Mm, sweet.
1: And the first week that I <laughs> that I led this singing was the 4th of July, so I made everybody stand up. I was so nervous but so excited that I could have a calling in the ward.
2: Deb's very musical. <laughs> I, I will always cherish the hymn she say, sang for our group at Adam on Diamond. And you, anyway, you've been very blessed and... Gifted Deborah with musical talent.
1: Oh, that's sweet. Thank you. So
2: that makes total sense. You'd be leading music when you were (laughs) 18 years old. (laughs) I know your parents were as well, but anyway... (laughs)
1: we we came by it honestly yeah. our
0: family <laughs> so at this point you're going to church you feel like you're kind of getting back on track you feel like uh, everything's kind of uh, even though there's still a lot of things to work through and things that'll work themselves out you're making attempts you're going to the you're going to church you're participating in the thing that you love and dave's right deb is very musical and music is an extremely important part of her life and so that was really kind of tender mercy wasn't it that you were invited to be the deb has two favorite callings in the church one of them is to be the ward chorister and the other one's to be in young women's and she's phenomenal at both but so that's going on and then there is something else happened
1: so um i kept going to the support group and um i ended up choosing to place this baby for adoption um worked really closely with the therapist, what, what caseworker worker there yeah. um, mm-hmm. that I worked closely with her and said, okay, this is this is my choice. This is what I'm gonna um, do. So you
0: had and, decided and, to place the baby for adoption.
1: Yeah, and I was back and forth. I, I you know, there were days that I was like, I don't know if I can do this. This is really difficult because <laughs> all I ever wanted to be in my whole life was a mom. And to, like, make that decision to allow somebody that couldn't be a mom or that wanted another baby in their life. It was a really, really hard decision. And you talk about crying out in previous episodes I definitely had those moments of crying out, and I pleaded with the Lord to please lead me and guide me, help me know where this innocent, pure child is supposed to be. And I knew I could love the baby. I knew I could. But because I chose not to marry the father, and I have such an amazing father in my life, I was like, this child deserves a dad, Hmm. a good dad. And that was a pivotal decision maker for me was given this child exactly what I was graciously given, which was a mom and a dad that loved me. And so as I journaled and prayed and journaled and prayed and journaled and prayed for those nine months, I felt like I was led. The way that they did it then was they would say, "Okay, we have family A, B, C, D, E and here are the characteristics this is uh, this was completely closed adoption and they said this is the color of their hair this is their their things they like take these names and these people and and pray about it and and I did I I did not take that lightly I knew this was a huge this was impacting eternities and mm-hmm. I knew that I needed to be a part of that, um, I, I needed to listen to the Spirit because nobody on this earth knew where that baby needed to be, but I knew God knew.
0: That's a pretty heavy task for a 17-year-old.
1: Yeah, I, I learned a lot yeah. <laughs> at a very young yeah. age. Yeah.
2: But you did, obviously, have great faith.
1: Yeah, I, I did do it, and when I when I chose the first family um, and the family and the the group that the social services, they have a committee that they pray together. They they say, we're going to take and pray about it too. We all felt good about this first like family A or something. And they approached the bishop and the bishop said, you know, I don't know what's going on with the family. They're not as active. They're not paying tithing. I don't know that it's a good time for this this baby to go to this family. That was impactful in my life right there. And then for the simple fact is what what blessings am I foregoing because of choices I'm making in my life? I will never forget that. Mm. And so it, we went back to family ABCDE and took out family A or whatever family that was. We prayed about it again to find the next family that was ready for this this infant. That has been a really big part of remembering, at a, again, at a very young age, to to remember that... Blessings are predicated on on our obedience. And that was a really huge lesson for me to learn.
2: Well, so so Deb, so at this point in your life, commandments are pretty much everything, and you're obviously really focused on commandments then, and that is an amazing lesson, right? That blessings are predicated upon our obedience, right? Amen. Mm -hmm. But at this point in your life, being so focused on that... While not understanding the atonement of Jesus Christ, is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, hundred percent fair.
2: <laughs> so you didn't understand the atonement of Jesus Christ. You're <laughs> praying to God. You know you're getting answers. You're mm-hmm. you're feeling the Spirit of the Lord th- in spite of your your challenges and your past and mm-hmm. all of that. But there's th- is it fair to say that there's no repentance taking place, basically?
1: In my at that time, I thought this was repentance. In that innocence or that ignorance, whatever you want to call it, I felt like, oh, yeah, okay, this is the repentance process because I went and talked to the bishop, and now I'm getting answers from Heavenly Father of what to do um, and how to move forward with this mistake, with this sin. But as far as f- being forgiven and feeling like my sin that was as scarlet red was, did, definitely did not feel like as white as snow.
2: Well, I, 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 I want to correct myself. I'm sure there was some repenting taking place. But crying out, right, that's part of repentance. Having right. a relationship with our Heavenly right. Father. Filling the Spirit. Seeing the Bishop. All of, that's, all of that's really good stuff. All that's positive. But the Savior, the blood of the Savior, His atoning sacrifice was at that time not really... I mean, you weren't aware of that so much then.
1: Well, no. And as I finish my story, you're going to see, I mean, it'll, it'll really okay. play you're out. Awesome. <laughs> so um, long story short, I have this baby, and sh- uh, she was feet first. So I, I knew before the baby was born that uh, she would need to be a C-section. And I asked my doctor if they could put me completely out. I don't want that, that bonding moment my family was so supportive. My mom was there and my sister and uh, sisters, and I, I just had a lot of support as far as that goes. And so they put me out, give me a C-section. I wake up, and there's this baby. And because I had her C-section, she stayed in the hospital with me, and, and I, I got to spend five special days with her. Mm. That I still cherish, clearly, because it stirs emotion. And there were bets in the hospital that I wouldn't place her. But I knew she wasn't mine. I knew she wasn't. I was just a tool to get her here. So five days later, I sign papers, and she gets taken to her family. And, of course, the social worker is telling me, oh, you brought so much joy. And I can only imagine, because I've been able in years now to see the joy that, you know, people that have adopted have been able to um, experience. And especially in a blended family, I feel like I put one out into the universe and got four in return. I got four bonus kids when I married Scott. And I just feel like it's God's way of saying, thank you, Deb. (laughs) And
0: one of those kids is adopted, and Deb yep. and Casey have an extremely close mm-hmm. relationship that nobody can understand except for Deb and Casey and our yeah. family.
1: Yeah, it's pretty tender.
2: And Chris and I have adopted, and what a sweet blessing that is in a family.
1: Yeah. After all of that, I'm like, okay, I'm done. I've done the hardest thing in my life. I can get on with my life, and now I can go find me an eternal companion and get married in the temple and live happily ever after. I moved out um, with some roommates, so I'm no longer living with my brother. I have a job up in Salt Lake. I move in with some roommates, and one of them was a return missionary, and she was taking me to her her, um, young adult ward, going to activities, and meeting a lot of people, and dating, and within a few months, I I meet a, a young man that shows a little interest, or a lot of interest, and before I know it, I'm drinking again, and Having sex again. And I remember thinking, I thought I learned my lesson. I, this is so, and I think the, the hardest piece of it was when I told this, this person that I had had a baby and, and that I have stretch marks and now a scar. And his reaction was, you know, kind of left and like, I don't really want anything to do with you. So again, there was more rejection and more validation that I'm not clean. I'm not pure. I'm not forgiven. I'm not, you know, virtuous. I don't deserve anything less than whatever I can get because of the story that I kept telling myself. And I think that was probably the biggest thing that I've learned through all of this is even though I felt like I had made a wrong right, I had not really used the atonement of Jesus Christ to allow it to cleanse Mm -hmm. or to purify the belief or the lies.
2: Or to enable you. Or
1: enable, yes.
2: To enable you and strengthen you to make the changes that you needed to make and to be changed through his atoning sacrifice.
1: Right, so now I'm right in the exact same situation and seven months after I had that baby and placed her for adoption, I'm pregnant again. Mm. And so when they talk about repeating the same sin over and over, I now have pictures to go with those words. And I'm I'm not telling my mom because the de- and dad the devastation and all my older brothers and sisters had all been married in the temple and served missions, and so now I have this dirty little secret that we kind of hid and now it's like okay now what do i do cuz i'm definitely not going through that again that was excruciating like so hard and so i just we decided to get married we have this wedding that's not in the temple not in the you know and i'm i'm getting comments from family members that come through the wedding line is you know this is not what the graves do this is not what we do <laughs> Anyway, so the guilt on top of the guilt already. So just knowing all of the shame and shun. I shun and disappointment and what am I doing to this this family name? What am I doing to my life? I'm destroying my own life. And I honestly feel like now as I look back, I I really felt like because I was so broken and so damaged and so used and abused, not only now not being a virgin, but not, I mean, I all have scars and stretch marks and I'm, I'm pretty much damaged goods. Who is going to want this? So I, I think the story that kept going on in my mind was there's no way of cleaning this up. And I did not really believe that that's what the atonement was for, was to clean that mess up to make that wrong right. Because then I added a alcohol on top of it, which was another rule that you do not drink. you know, stay virtuous, no fornication, no all of this. And, and now it's just like I just jumped deeper into a pit. So I, I think that was the piece that really kind of taught me that I really don't understand. I really do not understand the atonement. I don't understand that I truly can be forgiven over and over and over and even understanding.
2: So you were how old when you were married, Deborah?
1: I had just turned nineteen.
2: Now you're married and you you have the baby and and so all of this stuff is heaped up. Yeah, it's piled and on top of piles. And you're trying to start a marriage mm-hmm. and and just in a few seconds, how did that go?
1: So it, you know, I think endure to the end was probably my motto for, for Suffer. You know, oh, definitely just suffer. Just I'm going to suffer. Yeah. Through and, it. Yes. And one of the blessings that came from that marriage was within a year of being married, a little over a year, um, we were able to take jessica to and be sealed to her in the temple and i received my endowments and i remember really when i entered the temple feeling i remember having a permagrin i just remember literally feeling like everything's better now everything is gonna work everything's gonna be okay it was like this was my destination place this is where i needed to get to and now i'm finally here and i really hung on to the temple like clung like almost like you know snowstorm when you're just squeezing that steering wheel i really feel like that's when i really was able to like cl- like hold on and i held on tight cuz there were a lot of things that had happened that had gone on in that marriage i had i have 3 amazing children from that marriage but there were a lot of challenges in that marriage that were s- very very hard
2: commandments and now ordinances. Yep. You're you're really clinging to ordinances mm-hmm. and your faith is no doubt really strong in your heavenly father and in in uh, keeping the commandments and walking the covenant path what's your relationship with the savior at that point?
1: I think with the challenges that came during that marriage I felt like this is kind of the punishment for living the life I have lived. Hmm. And so now I had the tools to go to the temple, and now I had the tools to pray and stay active. And I I, I remember at that time in my life, kept, I kept thinking, maybe if literally I thought this, I'm not trying to be funny, but I I, I thought maybe if I pay twelve percent tithing, or maybe if I go three times a week to the temple instead of just once, I I remember. Like literally swinging, swinging that pendulum completely the other way.
2: Great example of trying to <laughs> save yourself. That's a great example, yeah. and I, I mean we've all. I think we do. I think We all. We all do that. that at some yep. point, yep. or or have that we we try to to save ourselves.
1: Oh yeah, it was a white knuckle experience. We we for not sure.
2: only we not only believe that we uh, suffer because of our sins, or that there's suffering, or or punishment as consequences of our sin, but you, and I've experienced this as well, you think you actually have to suffer for your sins.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: Right? For sure. You're not only suffering because of them, you're suffering for them. Oh, yeah. You're trying to pay back.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I literally, it was like, I I wore that victim card loud and proud. I was such a victim. Hmm. (laughs) It's funny to say now, but... Yeah, it was it was very interesting.
2: So um, we, we don't have a lot of time left. We're winding up. Uh, how did that marriage end? And then how did it go after that? And Deborah, at what point in your life do you feel like you finally came to understand the atonement of Jesus Christ? And when did you feel like through his merits, through his suffering and his blood, that you became... Redeemed and saved and you experienced the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ?
1: Well, at the end of the marriage, I, I just feel like we grew apart. I mean, he I did not I would I didn't I was not the person he married. I changed and I changed a lot. And um so in the end it it was one of those things where it was just it was better that he go his way and I go my way.
0: He's married to a wonderful woman too. Yes, yeah, he is. He has a and good I, life. Today. I love her and yep. I'm
1: so grateful for yep. her. She's great to my kids and my grandkids. I'm, I yes, as I divorced and I had been, I had known Scott for um, four years it, it, through the program and stuff, and he was a very good friend, and we walked through similar things together. It wasn't until after I had lost my membership in the church for a year, I was disfellowshipped and lost my recommend and was unable to take the sacrament, that I really understood what the atonement of Jesus Christ was because of the void. It wasn't there. And like I said, I was clinging to the gospel. I was clinging to the temple and when that was removed from me, and I I went in a spiritual timeout, and I, I wouldn't even say spiritual, but maybe a physical timeout to just kind of spiritually reconnect and understand what's really going on here, and then really applying the doctrine, because I feel like the doctrine was definitely not in my in my mentality I didn't understand it the way that I do now and so the reason why I choose to share this whole experience and this devastating you know experience that that could be I guess devastating is for the simple fact is there were a lot of years of suffering a lot of years of of turmoil a lot of years of self-doubt and self a lot of things that were unnecessary because of the ignorance towards the atonement of Jesus Christ I did not have to carry that for decades mm-hmm. I did not have to carry that victim I did not have to carry that any any piece of that and I think that's the part that it's like I just want to I just want to stand on the top of a mountain and say there is hope even if you make the same mistake over and over and over again there is hope And it is only through the Savior, Jesus Christ, and His blood. And I know that today. I know that I'm still not done messing up. I know that. And I don't claim to be perfect in any way, shape, and form, but I'm grateful that I can turn my back on those things that no longer bring me the Spirit, and that I can cry unto Him. You know, as you talk about in previous episodes about, did you have a cry-out moment I have to say, I have cry out moments almost daily Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that I just plead, plead with Him. Mm -hmm. Just help my will and Thy will be one. Mm -hmm. Please help me commune with Thee. That is my wish and desire. And I definitely don't do it perfect or right, but every day there's effort. Mm -hmm. And I'm just grateful today that I know that My Heavenly Father loves me, and I know that the Savior is very well aware of my journey, and He did drip drops of blood for me. He hung on that cross for me, and He was resurrected for me. And for that, I have hope, a lot of hope, and a lot of joy.
2: And knowing that makes makes all the difference. I, I'll just say something here quickly and then Scott and Deborah, you can finish it. Part of what I've experienced today is, and I may have shared this before in an episode, but I think this is so important for parents to to get this lesson as they've listened to Deborah today uh, to learn this and to apply it in their, in their lives and their families. I was sitting on the stand at the Missionary Training Center and Boyd K. Packer, President Packer was teaching and and uh, he told the missionaries there, uh, we're, we're not going to judge you by your number of baptisms. We're going to judge you by what kind of parents and grandparents you become. And on that note, he said, I have some uh, counsel for you, that you now live in a world that is more wicked than it is righteous. And if you don't do a better job teaching your children the atonement of Jesus Christ than you do teaching the commandments to your children, you're going to lose your children because they're not going to keep all the commandments. That's where we're at. Yeah. And, and your example of that, Deborah, is, I think, amazing how, how you have come back from so much in your life to be where you are now, the person that you are now, which I've always been inspired by you. And since I've known you, since you married Scott, how grateful I am for you, your example, and uh, the power of Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice in your life. So thank you so much for
0: sharing that with us today. Thank you. <laughs> well, so um, I've heard this story literally hundreds of times, and I'm never left without impact every time I do. I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate your openness and willing to put out there what may be a hard thing to sometimes put out there, and I know a lot of people would find it extremely difficult to talk about these things, and I know that sometimes you wrestle with that, too, just because I watch you uh, do that. And I, I think that uh, it, it's important that we recognize uh, your courage, your strength in doing so, because, you know, we've had last night, we were sitting out on our deck in preparation for the things that we were going to talk about. And I asked you, uh, why, why do you do this? And, you know, your answer is the same as my answer when I'm asked that question about, uh, you know, when I share my story and stuff, too. And your answer was, if I can just help one person, if I can just give courage or strength or even just an inkling, a little tiny bit of hope to somebody who may, even if they're not in the exact same situation, but maybe feeling those feelings of distance from our Heavenly Father because of choices that we make or feeling that separation of the Spirit whether it be real or imagined, uh, because of the way that we have been raised in a, a culture where we talk about commandments and those things are important. And, and sometimes uh, we could do a better job in, in talking about our relationship with our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. I've watched you. I know your relationship with him. Deb and I, when we uh, were first dating, uh, some of our first uh, dates were in the temple and, uh, just just being there and feeling our heavenly Father spirit we have a we have an important relationship Deb and I do Dave um, and every night as we kneel by our bedside and pray we thank Heavenly Father for being the most important person in our relationship he's first he's first to Deborah and he's first to me and uh, because of that uh, we have a relationship that uh, you know we look forward to an eternity with any any final words you'd like to say sweetheart
1: no I just I I just appreciate being able to share my story. It's um, and again, just pray that it it can touch one person to at, at least look at the possibility to apply the atonement of Jesus Christ in their lives because it is such has been such a huge, impactful thing in my life, yeah. and I'm just so grateful. yeah
2: nice. I, I just have one more thought. Um, you mentioned. Uh, after you were married, your first marriage and going to the temple, and you were just going to endure to the end. That's how you kind of saw it, right? Yep. Uh, and you were clinging, you you used that word, yeah, clinging yeah. to that. How do you see enduring to the end differently now <laughs> than, you, than that, you did then?
1: Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, I think the clinging is more in a triad with Heavenly Father and having a companion that wants what I want and has the same goals, has the same... I, I, I just feel like there's a soul-to-soul connection that it's like, this is a whole lot easier. Well, you,
2: with. you know, what I'm thinking of, Deborah is, and Scott, is bringing a little scripture into this, is in uh, First Nephi that chapter 8, when Lehi has this dream, right, of the tree of life and the, the fruit and this iron rod. And there are four groups of people that he describes in that. And one of the groups is the group that is clinging. He uses the word clinging yeah. to, the to, the, to the rod of iron. Yeah. And they get to the tree, and they notice the great and spacious building, and they fall away. The clingers don't last and then he sees another group of people that are simply holding fast. He, yeah, that's the term that he uses. That they're holding fast. They get to the tree, they partake of the fruit, and they fall down in worship. They, ought, they acknowledge and they know, you know, and the fruit. I think of the fruit at least as the atonement of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Mm-hmm. They fall down. They, they are not at all interested in the Great and Spacious Building. And I've often taught that, you know, based on that example, that clingers never last. You have to hold fast. Yeah. And the difference is, is how you see the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the key to that is how we see our Savior, our Father's plan of redemption and the role of Jesus Christ in fulfilling that plan, through his atonement, and that makes enduring, I mean, it looks completely different, it feels completely different, right, Deborah? Right,
1: absolutely, and I, that that just brought me to, in my patriarchal blessing, it tells me, in five different areas, my life will be full of joy and happiness. Go forth and be happy, be happy, be happy, and I literally am living that today, hmm. is that joy and happiness in, in living the gospel, having it very much alive, being steadfast in, in that, again, I don't do it perfect and I'm not claiming to do it perfect, but I, I definitely am experiencing joy. That was my favorite thing in, in conference when president Nielsen said, find joy in repentance. That resonated really big with me.
0: Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Well, um, thanks so much, Deb for being here. Uh, if if you want I to... I love
2: being with both of you and for the sweet relationship that you have, so no, thank you for your example in that as well. Well, thanks,
0: Dave. It, it, we don't normally do this, but if for whatever reason you'd like to uh, send a question even to Deb or, or um, reach out with uh, whatever, a comment to her or encouraging her or thanking her for being here, do that through our uh, email at he redeems Us at gmail.com he redeems us at gmail.com well i i have felt the spirit today i think that our listeners will too as they listen to your openness your transparency your love one thing that uh, deb is gifted with and it is a spiritual gift uh, she's gifted with love she knows how to love she loves everybody that she comes in contact with i think that that's a direct result of her feeling her heavenly father's love through the power of our lord and savior jesus christ and his atonement as well Thanks for being with us, Deb. Dave, thanks for uh, doing this again. Thank I, cherish, so I cherish, cherish these moments. Love you both so much. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for being with us for another podcast. We uh, hope you feel God's love for you. We hope, uh, and it's important to us that you do know that you have been redeemed through His blood. We look forward to being with you again. Thanks for being with us today. Take care.